Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm joined by Jared Hallis. This is Kelly Quinlan. And it's a victory week for Georgia Tech coming off the win over Virginia Tech, number 17 in the country. Step a big old fat L on the win-loss column for the, the Hokies and kind of ruined their hopes. They were trying to get to a 10-win season, which is kind of unique in Blacksburg. And it was uh, glorious to watch up in the press box the way the game ended. They had a good drive at the end after Taquan had the meltdown through the pick six. They come right back down the field with the 80-yard touchdown to Ricky June, which was probably one of the best pass plays I've seen in a while and from the Jackets. And uh, then at the end, Johnny Kerr comes in off the bench and uh, gets to play the hero off the bench for the Jackets at cornered knocking down the pass out of Camp Phillips' hand. So uh, all in all, it, was, uh, it wasn't was always pretty, but it was a very solid win against a very good team, wouldn't you say, Jared? Yeah, definitely. It, to me, it just had the had the mix of the Virginia game all over again, you know, with uh, us kind of having the lead for a decent amount of the game. And then they take the lead there again at the end, and we respond with a touchdown pass in the late minutes. And I was, you know, they started driving down the field, and I was like, wow, we're going to lose in the same fashion two weeks in a row. But uh, Johnny was able to make a good play, so it was nice to nice to get a, a fifth win and get one game closer to bowl eligibility, and especially being a ranked team, I feel like it came at a good time to give the team some confidence heading into Duke and Georgia. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a big opportunity now. If you win the last two games of the season, you're going to a pretty good bowl game. I think Georgia Tech goes to a pretty good bowl, even with a win over Duke, just with the way the ACC is kind of setting up. I think that um, really the only teams ahead of them right now in the pecking order are Clemson and Miami, who may be in the playoff. If Notre Dame slides into an ACC bowl, they would I think they would have to lose another game for that to happen. And then probably right now Virginia Tech and um, NC State and Wake Forest are really the only other competitors. So if you look at kind of how all that figures out, Georgia Tech could end up in a Tier 1 bowl because I think Virginia is going to lose their last two games. They play at Miami and they play um, uh, Virginia Tech, who they haven't beaten in 13, year, 13 years. So, um, And then you kind of look at who else is there. you got a bunch of teams all kind of at six losses um, trying to, to dig out from that. So... To me, I think if you just got to take care of business on Saturday, I feel pretty good about this game. I felt surprisingly good about the Virginia Tech game last week. I felt like they were kind of due for one of those, and I think that the team's going to be fired up. They're kind of pissed off. They haven't won a row game all year, and I think they're going to try to take it out on Duke. And let's face it, this is not a great Duke team. They've lost six straight games. Um, just really struggled uh, in, in – to score any kind of points. Um, I mean, if you kind of go back and look at it, they started out 4-0, and and their offense was really clicking. And then after the win over North Carolina, they scored 6, 21, 10, 17, 3. And then 16 against the Black Knights of Army, who only scored 14 offensive points but got a blocked punt for a touchdown to give them a 21-16 win. Basically, Army went up 21-3 and then just sat on the lead the rest of the game for like three quarters. So uh, that kind of tells you what you need to know about where this Duke team is. I think, you know, you wonder if they've given up. That's going to be an interesting thing to see how hard they fight. Because really technically they can still get in a bowl game if they win their last two games. They play 
uh, Georgia Tech and then at Wake Forest, both of which are games they're going to be touchdown dogs in. Uh, I think I think spread's minus six right now for yeah that. six and a half. Yeah, it moved when the weather. It's funny the weather forecast improved and the line moved like a point and a half in Georgia Tech's favor. Improved as in like no rain. It moved. Yeah, it moved from five to six and a half. Beautiful. So uh, yeah, there's supposed to be clear skies and a cool day um, up in. Durham. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. You play four road games on the road in the rain. Uh, was Miami, Clemson. Virginia three games in the road in the rain and yeah those are and you, three four losses exactly and honestly it's just I think like I said earlier I think just you know coming off of a win against a ranked team I feel like like I mean they are Duke has I guess just as much to play for as Georgia Tech I mean both teams have a lot to play for with Duke sitting at four wins Georgia Tech sitting at five I mean Georgia Tech's got a lot harder remaining schedule after Duke than Duke does. However, I feel I just feel like Georgia Tech's a better team. Obviously, um, you now I feel like we play somewhat decent in uh, over there at Duke, and now obviously there's no going to be no type of atmosphere regardless of what the weather does. So you know it's just it's just going to be one of those things where the better team wins, and I, I feel like Georgia Tech's the better team. Yeah, my favorite. Uh question after the Virginia Tech game was from a boy technique who asked uh, <laughs> where to, where the uh, Georgia Tech section was at Duke and someone on the board said pick one <laughs> uh, I mean that's kind of how it is there'll be I would guess 5,000 or less at the game uh, yeah. maybe. I think the stadium only seats like 16,000 I mean it's going to be I guess it's senior day so there may be some people for that but um it's you know, I guess I think Wallace Wade holds thirty something. Jared, I don't. Oh, know. it's it's not it's, sixteen. It's like no, it's forty. It's forty. I don't know where I got thirty or sixteen from. I mean, maybe when it opened, that might have been what it. But um, yeah, no, I mean it's a decent sized bowl stadium. Um, yeah, Tex had some weird games. That their last trip was pretty miserable in twenty fifteen. Uh, it rained the whole game. Justin Thomas didn't play well, and. Uh, AJ Gray, AJ Gray got his first career interception and fell face first on what should have been a pick six. He just yeah. fell flat on his face. We kind of everyone gave him a hard time this week about that, remembering what happened the last time he uh, played at Duke. So, yeah, I mean, I just I think these guys are fired up. They want to to get some momentum going into the Georgia game. Obviously, what happened over in Auburn certainly I think fires up the uh the tech faithful's hope i think it may calm down some of the the craziness of georgia fans trying to take over bobby dot stadium um now we just gotta wait and see if it's going to be a noon or an 8 p.m game for for clean old-fashioned hate that'll be a kind of interesting subplot this week going into uh that whatever happens with duke and and georgia tech and and georgia and kentucky so you know to me, there's a lot to play for left in the season. If you win these last two games, Georgia Tech goes to a very good bowl. Like, they will be in the Belk Bowl or the Sun Bowl or something similar to that, the Music City Bowl maybe, or they could even go back to the Gator Bowl. So that's what you're playing for right now. You're playing to get in the best bowl you can get in to, to make up for the crappy situation, losing a game against Central Florida and not being able to get a team to agree to reschedule and um, 
or people to move around. They tried to get Georgia State to move a game. They tried to get Duke to move a game, and neither one of them would do it. And so when you get in that situation, you're, you're kind of stuck, and that's where Georgia Tech's at. They lost a game, and you lost a bullet, and you got to make up for that. And um, finishing the season with seven, eight wins is, would be a heck of a way to, to make up for losing a game, and it would be certainly a very special season for Georgia Tech. And Central Florida definitely. I mean, they're having a pretty good season. I think they're are they still undefeated? Yeah, they're undefeated. They play. Uh, who do they play this week? They have Temple this week. They Temple. have South, South Florida. South Florida, the, the battle week. on That'll I-4 be last weekend. Yeah. That'll be their biggest test probably all season. So I mean, it's hard to say. Going to UCF, I'm not sure what their environment's like, but I mean, either way, it still sucks to lose that game. Uh, so they're definitely gonna have to make up for that this week against Duke. And really, they needed that experience of playing on the road, too, before you get in the conference play. I think it made a difference on the team, losing the momentum of, you know, they're playing pretty well coming off of the, the Carolina and um, and Pitt games. And um, it, it just kind of sucks when you when you lose momentum like that in the season. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this all plays out. Duke's. An interesting team. They're pretty good defensively at times. Uh, offense has been kind of non-existent at times for them. The one thing that Cutcliffe does a nice job of uh, is kind of figuring out ways to to attack teams. And it's interesting because there's a lot of buzz now with Cutcliffe and Tennessee again. Would they look at him again? So he kind of has something to coach for as well because that opportunity is going to be there again for him to possibly go back to, to Knoxville. So... You know, he's got to <clears throat> put put some shine on his team. He needs to get to a bowl game because they've gone back-to-back years without going to bowl games, and I think that that's, you know, a major disappointment to their fans who felt like he had kind of got things turned around and got them onto an even keel with teams like Pitt and um, Georgia Tech and some of the other ACC coastal teams, and instead they're sort of back in the back half of the league again and really kind of the doormats this year along with North Carolina. So, uh, you know, I mean, their only conference win is over really hapless North Carolina team. Yeah, they're just, I mean, like you said, they just kind of kind of got up. What they win the Coastal? What was it, 2013? Something like that. They they won a couple years ago. They won the division. It was, you know, they took advantage. They had some really soft scheduling for several years. Um, they got out of playing uh, Florida State and Clemson for quite a while. And in those seasons where they weren't playing those teams, they really took advantage of things and kind of made their move up in terms of the coastal play. And the meantime, I think it was 2013 because uh, that was the year that Georgia Tech lost to Georgia in double overtime and ended up playing in the Music City Bowl, correct? Yeah, with that. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, – Duke played Texas A&M in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, and I was actually at that game. And they actually played pretty well. So I'm just assuming if they were in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, that was the year that they won it. Yeah, or, it, sorry, it, it sounds right. And Georgia Tech beat them that year head-to-head. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul Johnson's only lost two games to them in his career in 2014 and 2015. The 2014 game was kind of an anomaly. They uh, Justin Thomas was injured, kept himself in the game, and then Tim Byerly came off the bench then to try to win it. And then the 2015 game was just brutal up in, in Durham. It was neither team was particularly interested in the game, and uh, it definitely showed on the field. It was as about as lackluster a, a game as you've seen from really for either team. It was not what, what you'd want to see, and 
uh, an ACC matchup like this. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they play. I'm sure Coach Johnson has them fired up. He, all of the coaches, and then they get um, bonuses for getting to six win and bowl eligible. So they have a lot riding on this as well, personally, as well as the players. Essentially, they get kind of like Christmas out of these bowl trips because you get the bowl gifts, you get the little trip stuff, and yeah. you can get things for your family because you get gift cards and stuff from the bowl people. And it's but, tough on the kids when they don't go to a bowl game because some of them kind of rely on those things to, to help sort of give their family a holiday. Don't Make sure they don't steal, though, because even if you get gifted, some people still like to take some things. Well, that's what happened with the Belk Bowl. With um... No, that's the, that's the joke I was making. No, no, I get you, but... That's what happened last year with the Belk Bowl. They had a uh, God. What team was it? Was it A and M? Maybe. I don't remember. Whoever I wanted it was, the Belk but they had a player that literally put like layers of clothing on. In the like, he was like a teenage girl trying to shoplift, and got caught and was stuffing his pockets with things. And, and they gave you like a five hundred thousand dollar gift card, whatever it was. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty hard to. I I don't know how you spend that much money at Belk. Anyway, yeah. like it, it would be hard. They only have like a couple of high ticket items unless you just went and bought watches or something. So um, yeah, that was pretty funny. The guy got sent home from the bowl and got in a lot of trouble. But yeah, the tech the tech people certainly got a lesson on, on shoplifting in UCLA from uh, in in China from the UCLA folks, and that's kind of all sort of been resolved for now. Uh, speaking of that that whole China trip. The Jackets returned this week, uh, Josh Passner's crew, and um, basically the NCAA announced their decision on Tuesday night with uh, regards to, to Todrick Jackson and, and Josh Okoge versus that whole Ron Bell business and them getting some extra benefits. Todrick missed three games. Who will be back for one, two, three, uh, North Texas? I'll double-check that. On November 24th. And then um, Josh Okogie's back. One, two, three, four, five, six. He is back for the Tennessee game on December 3rd. Josh Pastner said that he really doesn't expect uh, Okogie to be healthy until the end of the month anyways, to where he could really play any kind of real minutes. Um, Todrick coming back is obviously a huge thing for them. Um, North Texas. And then Northwestern after that are probably two of the more interesting games in the non-conference schedule in terms of uh, teams having some some guys that can give you a hard time. So it's good timing for them to get those guys back. You get Okogie back in time for the Tennessee-Wofford-Georgia run in the middle of December. And, um, I you know, I think justice was served here. The kids did something wrong. Josh did something wrong by letting this guy around his program. He knows that we've, I've talked to him personally about it. We've had some discussions about kind of how that's happened. And, you know, Josh is a nice guy and he's a sweet guy in a lot of ways. And he got taken advantage of quite frankly. And, um, you know, someone made a good point to me, you know, this guy was trying to act like Josh Pastner is trying to cheat. And he made accusations. He was trying to get him to help him keep Todrick and, Josh O on campus, but the truth of the matter is if Josh Passner wanted to cheat at Georgia Tech, there would be opportunities for him to do so. There, He would certainly not be the first basketball coach to bend the rules at Georgia Tech, so 
you know, those people are there. Like if you were a coach, a basketball program in the country, I don't care where it is. If they have any kind of boosters or fan base, you'll find some guy that will give you money or whatever it is that you need if you want mm-hmm. it. And so to me, that was sort of the ridiculous part of Ron Bell's argument that somehow he's helping these guys by having them have this creepy sleepover at his house. To me, if anything, that's, that to me just is bizarre. And I don't even understand why those kids would do that, but you know, I'm, I'm not them and I don't know what their relationships were like with that guy, but still at the end of the day, it was peanuts. The NCAA agreed that it was peanuts and we all move on and, Georgia Tech basketball gets what they need, you know, back in terms of their two best offensive weapons um, in time for to, to get some cohesion and get together and have a month of playing together before they hit Notre Dame at the end of uh, December, uh, on December 30th when they open ACC play at South Bend. So just for clarity for everybody that the UCLA game was included in their suspension. Correct. Yeah. So, they, since they were withheld and they didn't go on the trip, um, Georgia Tech did the right thing. They pulled them out immediately and didn't try to play a game with them because I think that could have sort of screwed things up as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, everyone kind of did what they are supposed to do. Todd Stansberry was very diligent in his handling of things and uh, from people I've talked to behind the scenes and, you know, gave, you know, Coach Passner his thoughts on – you know, avoiding situations like this in the future, that it's not acceptable to, to have questionable people around your program. And ultimately that's a tough lesson that Josh learned that being a friendly guy can backfire on you. And if you are um, of that nature, kind of a kind hearted guy, my kids like that, he's a very sweet like person. I could see him getting taken advantage of by someone. And that's kind of like a Josh Mark kind of guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's how Josh is. Josh would give you the the shoes off his feet. I mean, that's... It's nothing, it's nothing against him at all. No, and that's the thing. Like, people are different, and not everyone's as jaded and burnt by the world as some of us. So I think that um, that ends Let's up... Let's just say that we have two very different coaches in, Josh Passner and Paul Johnson. Absolutely. I mean, Paul, I, I imagine if you... If you asked him privately, and I have not actually talked to Paul about what happened with Josh, but um, he would probably be fairly amused that this guy was around his program because Paul's very tight about who he lets be around, who he lets come to practice, all of that stuff. It's yeah, he has very much total control over that stuff. Like, uh, and it's something I respect about the way he runs things. There's not a lot of. Uh, of tomfoolery and that kind of stuff. And there's the players know there's not much tolerance for anything. So they kind of walk the straight and narrow. And those who don't, I mean, look, he kicked his best player off the team, arguably, you know, two weeks before the season started in Diedrich Mills. So that yeah. kind of shows you where Georgia Tech's at. And it wasn't, you know, necessarily Paul's decision, but he didn't fight it because there was the rules. Like he understood he now he's trying to get those rules changed to make it more um, amenable to the realities of life in, in 2017, 2018. But yep. the the truth of the matter is the rules are the rules, and you got to set an example. Them. Yeah. You don't enforce them. You don't have them. And the thing is, Josh made a good point. He's like, there's nothing wrong with these kids. They're good, smart, you know, talented kids. They just screwed up in their kids, like, and that's yeah. I mean, it's gonna happen. It happens everywhere. So it's just, it was 
just something that we're going to have to get past. And they have three games coming up against the three teams that they probably should should beat pretty pretty handily. So hopefully they'll be able to build some momentum before they get into a little bit tougher competition. Yeah, and that's kind of what it comes down to for the basketball team. You know, Pastner talked to me on Wednesday about they just have to find scoring and until Todrick gets back to end Josh O. I mean, that's two-thirds of their scoring almost that's gone. So, yeah. And Ben Lammers can only do so much. He's one guy, and really, if you over overwork him, he's just going to break down, and it's going to cause a lot of problems for the team in terms of getting shots and guys getting comfortable. And you're breaking in a lot of new pieces. Jose Alvarado looked nice in the, the UCLA game. Mm-hmm. Curtis Haywood has struggled so far, and Moses Wright has been really hot and cold. He'll have a great game. He had a great game against Faulkner and then didn't play well at all against UCLA. So if you're going to see that kind of roller coaster with those young guys this year. Yeah, I mean, Ben Lambert, you know, we could talk about him for a minute. He was just an absolute man on the mission. And I remember saying last week that in order for us to have a shot, he was going to have to get straight back to his double-double ways. And he came right out, scored 18 points in the first half, ended up with 24 on the game and 10 rebounds. So, I mean, Ben Lambers is still in Ben Lambers' form, so if we can find somebody else, we should be able to win some games. And the big thing with Ben is he's added a little more um, of a post-up game. He was better around the rim. That's something Josh Bassner says he's worked a lot with him on in terms of finishing, not being so deferential with the ball in the post, making sure that when you get you know, within, in four feet of the basket, if you have any kind of a shot to take it, that he's too good to be – passing the ball back out or kicking out to a 14-foot shot. Yeah. Uh, the percentages don't work out. You don't have, you know, he doesn't have Kyrie Irving to kick the ball out to. He's kicking the ball out to Curtis Haywood or, you know, Brandon Austin or, or, yeah, some guy who's never played. So, um, you know, that, that's just the thing. There's no sharpshooters, you know, on the bench, on the roster. There's Three-point shooting is going to be a premium this year, even more so than last year, I think. And that's going to be something that they're going to have to figure out throughout the season because that's going to be the X factor. You can't play basketball these days without three-point shooting. And the two best three-point shooters probably on the team are both sitting on the bench right now. So until you get them back, you're kind of stuck. And Jose Alvarado, yeah, he actually had – he struggled maybe a little bit in the first half. But in that second half, he definitely stepped up and – Speaking of three-pointers, he was able to knock one down that really gave us a chance to win there at the end. I mean, we only ended up losing by three points, and he got us up to that 60 mark to get us in that one possession area. So, I mean, he had a really good game. It was good to see, you know, a freshman being able to make a play like that and really just kind of not filling in the void, but somewhat filling in the void of Josh and and Tadrick. Well, and see, the thing with, with Jose was that I was impressed with, too. He wasn't afraid to t- – they didn't get a very good shot in the last shot to try to tie the game to send it yeah. to time. But yeah, he, he was did. willing to take the shot. Like, he wasn't afraid. He didn't pass it up. He didn't act um, weird about it. He was just like, all right, let's go. And that's what you want to see. Like, he was confident enough to take the shot. Now, he's not skilled enough to hit that kind of shot yet, but it'll come with time. And I think he's got tremendous upside. He reminds me a lot of a shorter version of Jarrett Jack, who was a really good point guard at Georgia Tech. Yeah. A guy is tough that will hit the boards. He plays bigger than he is and has a great court vision. Not the best shooter in the world, but not a guy who can knock down shots. Is just kind of gutsy, and that's what what he is, and it's a New York City thing, and I think that's cool, and they need some, some swagger there. And 
the biggest piece, you know, the biggest pieces of the puzzle for, for Josh Passner, I think, probably came in the signing class that they announced on Wednesday. Um, those guys signed, signed last week mostly, but they signed um, Christian from uh, Katy, Texas, Christian Soljan. Uh, they signed Khalid Moore and uh, Michael DeVoe. And DeVoe, DeVoe yeah. and, and Christian can fill it up. Like, they both can shoot threes, like – they will stretch the floor. Um, I, I really like what he did with his class. He didn't get the guys he wanted, didn't get in a Sear Little, but he got guys that can go and, and make baskets and really give you something else and stretch the floor. They got a stretch four guy that they desperately needed. And now you got some depth, and I like Evan Cole. I like Moses Wright. I think it'll be interesting to see if Curtis Haywood can figure out his shooting because right now, He's sort of a double negative on the court because his defense isn't great and his offense is is really bad. So it's it's kind of stinks because he's a guy that should be able to come in and give you some scoring. But long term, I can see the pieces of the puzzle that Josh is putting together. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just not there, you know, like they're missing like one elite guy, and that's the thing Josh and I have talked about a little bit. Um, is that that's sort of where they're stuck right now until they can convince them to steer a little or a, like some guy that's a, a transformational player to come. They need a Derek Favors or, a, you know, a Mon Shumpert. They don't have quite that level of guy right now, and that's kind of what's holding them back from taking the next leap up. Yeah, we say uh, they definitely don't have anybody like that, but those three guys that they signed today were all four-star guys. And, and I mean, Josh obviously played out of his mind a little bit in some ACC games last year, so – I think the future looks really bright, and Josh is only in his second year, and there's definitely a lot to look forward to for Georgia State basketball. And Josh Okogie reminds me in some ways of Amon Shumpert. Amon was a point guard. I was going to say the same thing. Josh is more of a two, but they're both strong defensive players. Three-point shooting is a little – it's good enough. Yeah. And um, can drive to the hoop and stuff. Amon's biggest problem in college was that he was a deferential player like Ben Lammers. He – he wasn't a guy that liked to take over games, but he could when he wanted to. I remember he went up to Duke and beat Duke basically by himself. Like, he just went off against them and, and Cameron one year. And mm-hmm. he had that capability. And uh, Okogie's a guy like that. I think he's going to be a guy after his third year that is in that draft bubble for the first round, and he ends up moving into the middle of the first round, much like Amon did. Uh, coming out, people are kind of like, oh, why is that guy coming out? And then he goes to workouts and just is a beast out there, and I think that's what Josh Kogi can do. Yeah, definitely. What was I about to say? I completely forgot. Oh, Kogi got a lot of he got a lot of attention, like national attention, over the offseason. I remember seeing one Bleacher Report article like projecting him as a as a first round pick, but I mean he's obviously not. I I don't think this year will be his last year at Tech. So, like you said, hopefully, I mean after after his third year, so you could see you could see him being one of those guys that could be a sleeper in the first round when i think this injury is going to set him back a little bit as well i think it's going to hurt his resume a little bit but the, playing on the u uh, 18 the national team or u19 whatever it was and playing was well huge, as well yeah and he 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 played he wasn't just like a guy they carried on the team yeah so i think that if you kind of look at what's going on there and kind of long term you can see sort of the pieces going forward, the biggest issue after this year will be kind of that center position and can they get AD or Sylvester Obanda or whoever to, to give you what Ben Lammers is doing. I, you know, I don't necessarily see that, but I think there's 
Um, I think the future is bright, and I think that they're going to be a different kind of team without Ben going forward. And um, I, I kind of like what I see, and I think Josh has them on the right path. I think he just – it's going to take a little bit of time. It's not – he has a much better plan and is executing it in a better way than Brian Gregory did at this point in his tenure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just going to be another another good Georgia Tech field weekend with the football game on Saturday and the basketball game on Sunday, similar to last week, except it was flip-flopped a little bit. Um, but, yeah, we'll be able to learn a lot about, about each team. Hopefully Georgia Tech will be able to not close out, but get – will close out their bowl hopes. Hopefully they'll be able to get that crucial sixth win and finally, you know – get real confidence get on another two-game win streak going into uh going into the rivalry game against georgia and then maybe a georgia tech basketball team will be able to get on their feet and get their first wins sunday against a, a team that they should definitely be able to do that against bethune cookman the mighty bethune cookman from daytona beach florida i think i think uh georgia tech according to espn's little power index thing i'm pretty sure it's like a 97 percent chance of winning <laughs> before the game even started and that's just like i i could never give a team a 97 percent chance of winning but hopefully hopefully they'll be right um i think they actually had georgia tech uh for the virginia tech game i think they actually had us favored so that was pretty surprising to me huh but, so interesting. well so it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens there uh going to the football game on saturday what are you expecting jared uh Spread what was six and a half, so I, I'll give I'll say Georgia Tech wins in double digits. Uh, you know, last year we we really got off to a really hot start. I think we were up twenty eight to zero at one point, and then kind of just crumbled before halftime and after halftime, and then it ended up being like a some some beautiful runs from Justin Thomas to kind of save the game for us. Uh, I think it'll be kind of similar to that this year. However, I don't think the collapse will be quite as hard. I think we'll be able to to get some to score a lot of points like we did last year. I think we scored like, what what was it, 38 or something against them last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be somewhere around there again this year. And I think our defense is obviously better than last year. So somewhere it'll be probably a 14-17 point win for Georgia Tech on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm thinking along the same lines. I think that the Jackets will knock off um, Duke by a couple of scores they'll get that six win novel momentum going into the georgia game and then who knows what the hell will happen in that game i mean that's you just never know yeah i mean that's the beauty of playing uh playing a rivalry game that ends up in going unexpected ways and maybe they'll snap the uh what is it 18 years now it's been since they've won in atlanta so too long i'll tell you that much yeah i mean <clears throat> it's been longer than some of the lifetimes of some of the guys on the team let's put it that way so <laughs> uh you know that'll be an that's interesting one, subplot next week that's something that really makes me upset though i'll tell you that much is just how i keep hearing i just keep hearing about how it's just like oh it's gonna be a noon game it's it's never even a close game but Last year we beat them by a point. The year before that they beat us by six. And not to mention we were three and nine that year. So that just proves to you that regardless of how good or bad each team is, I mean, it, the year before that in 2014 we won in overtime. The year before in the 2013, year 2013 was an overtime game. Yeah, it was double overtime. Really, 2012 was just the last time that the game was not close. And well, that's that was... the only time under Paul Johnson that the game hasn't been close. Exactly. Um, so you just I, I get tired of hearing about it, I know. And I I think regardless of how good or bad he seems, I don't care if Georgia was still ranked number one coming into the game. 
it's just like I just feel like it's going to be a close game regardless. Yeah, I mean, Georgia was blowing them out in 2008 to come back and beat them. 2009, Bebe drops a pass at the end of the game yep. to lose the game, right? That yep. he, would, he would catch nine times out of ten. Yeah, it was right there on the sidelines. It was like fourth and something. He yep. ended up he was he was trying to look at the ground before he caught the ball. Yep. Then um uh twenty ten with Tevin. I think that was the game where Scott Blair missed a PAT and they ended up having to let Georgia score to yeah. try to get the ball back. Um mm-hmm. They ran right up the middle. I don't even think a tech player moved on that. No, play. no, it was it was an intentional call. They let him score, and then they got Tevin got them all the way down. To, I think maybe the thirty or something. The UGA, and then threw an interception. I think to end the game, and then yeah. you know twenty eleven in uh, Atlanta. I feel like was a close game with Tevin. I can't remember. That's one game I don't remember at all. Um, twenty ten and twenty eleven. Like no offense to Tevin Washington or any of the players that played during then. Because, I mean, neither year was too terrible. That It was just kind of a blur to me. I'm not sure why. Like, I could rem- I could tell you everything that happened. I could tell you everything that happened in 2010 up to the point where Josh broke his arm in Virginia Tech. Yeah. I could tell you what happened in the bowl game because I remember that vividly. Um, being in, I guess, in 2010 was in Shreveport. Um, or was it oh. 2011? I don't remember. They all kind of blend together. But, um, oh, 2012 was the Sun Bowl against USC, correct? Uh yeah, 2011 and 2011 and 2012 they went to the Sun Bowl. Yeah. Um, lost the lost ten they went to the Independence Bowl. Who was it in 2011? This is gonna kill me. I know they beat USC 21 to seven in 2012. Oren Smith had a nice touchdown, I think, on fourth down. Uh, and Jamal Golden had that really good punt return. Gosh, I just can't remember who it was in 2011. In 2011, the bowl game? Yeah. I know it was a summer. They played Utah. Utah? Utah. I knew it. They lost in overtime. Utah. Okay. Okay. We're good now. Yeah. David Scully came in. It was a really windy day, and they didn't want uh, Justin Moore. Was he the kicker or Scott Whoever it was. They brought David (laughs) Scully in to kick a field goal cold. He missed it just barely. Uh, They had given up, like, two long plays. Jamea Thomas got burned on a play to – to send it to overtime, um, and then they lost to Utah. Uh, and they lost that game to Georgia fairly cleanly that year. It was 31-17. Uh, 2012, they went to the AC Championship at 6-6. Six and six Yeah, that was lost. that was just a very bizarre year. Yeah, because Miami and, um, Miami and uh, North Carolina had to recuse themselves from the uh, ACC Championship. And a lot of people forget about it, but in 2014, it took a – North Carolina win over Duke for us to go to the ACC championship, despite being by far the best team in the Coastal that year. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, there were there's been a lot of weird weird situations, and um, hopefully know. soon we'll be able to see us, you know, kind of back in that 2008 2009 where we're just kind of on top of the Coastal, beating the crap out of teams like Clemson. But I'm wishful thinking. Well, you know, next year's interesting year, uh, in a little bit of a side tangent here. Um in twenty eighteen Georgia Tech um has a different kind of schedule. They play Alcorn State who's got awful to open the season. Mm-hmm. Again. And then um they go to South Florida. South Florida will be in a major rebuild, um, having lost most of their offensive they've they'll have lost like uh 
basically almost their entire offense. It definitely looked like next year was the easiest we've had in a while as far as out-of-conference play goes. You got Bowling Green, and then you get Louisville, which will probably not have Lamar Jackson. At home, you get Duke, Miami, Virginia, and Clemson, who you've all played better at home. Um, and then you have uh, your games are North Carolina, Pitt, Vatek, and Louisville. You have a win streak over Virginia Tech. Um It'll be interesting to see what Louisville's like. I don't even know that Bobby Vitrino will be the head coach then. Yeah. I think I, he's going to take another job this offseason. Uh, Pitt. Been a while since we played Louisville. Yeah, Pitt's Pitt, and North Carolina's North Carolina, so there'll be interesting games. North Carolina's still in the middle of a complete rebuild. So, yeah, I don't know. It sets up a lot easier. You don't have um, – you. It, it's not as daunting, and then you play in Athens at the end of the season where you've won two in a row. Which is funny to say. It um, is funny to say. It's um, it's uh, it's very enjoyable to say that. I'll say it as many times <laughs> as you like to. <laughs> yeah, they can ride that for another full year, regardless of what happens next week. So yeah, um, it, they beat us in Atlanta for the nineteenth year in a row. I mean, that's fine. But as long as we keep our win streak alive and after. It is funny to they went through a whole thing like this with Auburn for a number of years, where Georgia and Auburn would win at each other's stadiums, and they couldn't win at home. So. It's not unprecedented for the the Bulldogs to have a, a situation like that, and it was the same thing with Clemson and Georgia Tech for a while as well. They, um, Georgia Tech kept winning at home and losing, I mean, yeah. and losing on the road there. So, yeah. uh, you know, and then and with Virginia as well, actually. So, um, they're still whatever it is, three and fifteen or whatever the awful number is at, in Scott Stadium. So. It's um, just sickening. Four, I, I, they have four wins and 16 losses or something like that. You don't have to talk about Virginia, though. <laughs> but uh, on that chipper note, we'll uh, wrap things up for this week. Uh, any final thoughts, Jared? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I guess just buy your tickets for the Georgia game. That way we uh, that way we have a decent amount of fans there. I mean, we'll talk again before that game comes. But let's hope for another good weekend of Georgia Tech football and let's hope that the basketball team can get on their feet yeah it's an opportunity for double wins for the Jackets on Saturday in Durham and then back in Atlanta on Sunday with the mighty Bethune Cookman so uh, for Jared Hollis I'm Kelly Quinlan this is your Jackets Online podcast and we will see you all next time